You're listening to The Conservative Conscience. In Washington, politicians are full of half-truths and hot air. The Conservative Conscience is here to help you cut through the rhetoric and noise and explore the politically right way to think about the issues. You'll dive into one of the most insightful conservative minds in America. Conservative Review Senior Editor Daniel Horowitz. Using pure common sense and ignoring the group think, Daniel breaks down the major issues in Washington. You are now entering the conservative conscience. And welcome back to the conservative conscience here at Conservative Review on Thursday, May 30th, when we are fully saturated in the week's news cycle, certainly by this Thursday. Lots going on, lots to talk about. As usual, I know many of you are excited for the daily town hall where it's likely the only place where you're going to hear much of this content, if not all of this content, because we seem to be the only place that mixes in details, facts, the issues that matter to conservatives and really all Americans with a consistent, relentless narrative mixed with passion, mixed with drive, mixed with a forward-looking vision. And thanks to so many of you that have helped really, you know, put me into in touch with a lot of people. I've learned a lot from some of you in the audience. Um, we've gotten great context, great information. So keep it coming. You could always email me at uh, dhorowitz at blazemedia.com. Your comments, your thoughts, prayers, <laughs> certainly appreciate it. Um, boy, is there a lot going on. I was watching, many of you might have seen me tweet this out last night. CBP in Arizona tweeted out, that you know, seventeen hundred people have been uh, apprehended in the Yuma sector over the past four days, and uh, most have been or will be released into the U.S. because they are family units. And I was like, "Are you bragging? Are you complaining? I mean, what 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 is that?" Show me where in the law it says anyone who comes with a single kid, that's usually what it is, by the way, one family member, one kid, often a mother and a father will split up and each take one kid so each could could benefit from catch and release. We created a new law antithetical to the laws on the books. I was thinking to myself... When dealing with this, and today's focus, really, we're going to talk about the fact that this is worse than an inv- than you know an immigration problem. This is an insurgency. Our border is like Iraq and Afghanistan. I want to develop that thought, but first, just from the immigration angle, just from the law, immigration law angle. Last week. We had company over. We had a, a friend of mine with. Um, they had. They actually, you know, had a lot of kids, and I let him borrow my car for a little bit. And I'm, for, I'm forgetting how old the kid was, but basically, you know, they didn't use a booster for the kid. Now he has really big kids, much bigger than mine. Now some of you. I don't, depending on the state you live, but I'm, it seems like it's pretty much all the states. You pretty much have to be in a booster until you're 150 pounds or 20 years old. I mean, it's just, it's out of control. Every year, the nanny state, um, state legislatures working with these booster car seat companies and crony capitalism keep upping the age and the weight limit to when you have to freaking sit in a car seat. And look, you know, there's a happy medium from the days where, you know, one-year-old sat in the front seat without anything versus sitting even in the back seat with a car seat until God knows how old you are. It's really humiliating for kids. I don't believe in it to that extent. My wife's become a little bit more into it. I don't know why, but um, one of the few things we disagree with. So she was upset that, oh man, you know, Daniel, you didn't, you know, push them to use the booster. I was like, come on, the kids are so big anyway. They're much bigger than ours, and I don't believe our kids need to be in them anyway. But, you know, she was scared that she's like, yeah, but, you know, it's at the end of the day, you're breaking the law. That's, that's what she said. And I was thinking to myself, yeah. You know, 
here, any little law that any of us break, citizens of this country, no matter how stupid, no matter how frankly unconstitutional, officious, and invasive it is, yeah, I mean, if we get caught, we'll get in trouble. But yet illegals are able to invade this country, invade this country with impunity, do what they want, and openly, our Department of Homeland Security is like, yeah, we're releasing them. Yeah, yeah. The laws say shall be detained, expedited removal. Again, a lot of them aren't even claiming a credible fear, and even if they do, it's not a legitimate one, and they need to be detained, and they need to be turned down, and they need to be deported. And yet every part of the INA is shredded. Every part of it. But we're like, hey, uh, we're just uh, not following the law. People whose whole presence in this country is illegal. Their presence, their entire presence in this country is illegal. Yet, no problem. If anything, the agents are being persecuted. Border agents, sheriffs, sheriff's deputies, for enforcing the law, they get sued, they get treated like criminals. We're all a bunch of criminals. Everyone except for foreign invaders empowering and use, being used as tools of the most brutal terroristic cartels while flooding this country with gangs, drugs, and criminals. It was just, the, the thought just really pissed me off. Just watching this. Truly, truly unbelievable. So I just thought you guys should know that, you know, to get your blood boiling, um, at least uh, at least from the get-go. But you know, we actually have, just so you know, we actually have a training program for illegals who come here. Unbelievable. To know their legal rights. It's an entire program that our government runs for illegals. You know, really pursuant to law, no taxpayer funding should go towards their council. There's a program basically walking them through their way to game the system. Really, really pisses me off. It's, it's, it's about $15 million worth. Jeff Sessions wanted to get rid of it. But uh, it's still there. Because so many of the clowns in this government will not lift a finger. Including, by the way, the current Attorney General. I know everyone's into William Barr because, oh, he's so good on Mueller. I mean, I was thinking of taking off today. I was wondering, what is the purpose in working today if it's going to be all Mueller? It's Mueller, Mueller, Mueller. It never ends. Impeachment, impeachment, impeachment. By the way, I am praying that Democrats don't opt for impeachment. But not for the reason you might think. I'm praying they don't opt for impeachment because I'm terrified that if they do that, we are done in terms of anything that matters to this country. It's already so bad. I mean, you could have a thousand illegals come in here and rape people, but it won't matter because impeachment is just, I mean, no issue will matter. Now, it's fine if no issue matters, if nothing bad is happening. But the left is winning on policy no matter what. No matter what, they are winning on policy. So my fear is that everything is going to continue getting bad and we will not be able to get any conservative pressure and focus on anything. I know it's already kind of like that. But could you imagine if we have impeachment? So we better pray that doesn't happen. 
Now, this is called it's called an LOP, the Legal Orientation Program. It provides information to detained immigrants about their rights and the immigration court process so that they can make informed decisions about their legal cases. I mean, does anyone offer such a program for those evading Obamacare or paying taxes or driving laws? I mean, I mean, really? It's within this stupid Eeyore, which are the, the immigration court thing within the Justice Department, which needs to be abolished. It's, um... They have group orientations, an interactive general overview of immigration remo- removal proceedings, f- forms of relief, and an opportunity to ask general questions. They also provide individual orientations. Unrepresented individuals can briefly discuss their cases with experienced LOP providers. Look at that. So law, law actually prohibits legal counsel, but they get around it. Well, we're just going to have a brief like orientation and kind of advise you. Self-help workshops. Those with potential for relief or those who wish to voluntarily depart the country are provided guidance on specific topics. So even if you're voluntarily departing, you're being deported. And then they refer you to pro bono legal services. Which there's, I mean, you know, the Soros groups, the ACLU, I mean, it's it's just endless. There's an endless number of these type of... uh, these type of groups. So you don't need taxpayer funding. Frankly, some of these groups do get taxpayer funding. They just play like the abortion game. Some of them say, well, we're not using it for abortion. Well, yeah, but more than half of what you do is provide abortions. So if you get extra revenue, it's all the same pot. So that program is continuing. I know Sessions... Wanted to get rid of it, but um, but yeah. Americans are the ones who need legal help. We need legal help against the corruption in our government, aiding and abetting illegal immigration. Where's the legal help prosecuting 1324 violations? It's 1324 of 8 USC, harboring, transporting illegals, and a lot of these legal aid groups to which... The government, our own government refers illegals to them. They harbor and transport illegals. We never do it. Never, ever do it. So, um, you know, obviously, you know, AUSC 1362 strictly prohibits Funding lawyers for for illegals. But we live in a time when a president is sued for following the law in order to violate the law. But they, they, they get to do what they want. Can you imagine that? A judge says, yeah, no, illegals are legal. We're the, we're the criminals. Now, they also do it. So, like I said... You have this um, DOJ EOR program, this legal orientation program, but then you also have through the Legal Services Corp, LLC, that's the you know government-provided um, legal aid for poor people. So again, they're not supposed to fund for open borders litigation, but they do. They allow these organizations like MALDEF, let's say Mexican-American Legal Defense and Education Fund, to uh, open up se- separate branches for illegal alien representation that are officially not funded by the program. But obviously, they use taxpayer funding to shift resources that enable them to violate the intent of the original law. The permanent prem- president promised to eliminate the program, but of course... Its budget has increased like 6%. (sighs) Yeah, I mean, I don't know what to tell you guys. This is a big problem. You could violate the law with impunity. 
your entire purpose of being here is illegal. Your entire essence of being here is illegal. All those who help you, anything you want, anything you do, will help fund it through taxpayer funding. We'll have courts order that the president must violate the law to service you. But if we ever did anything, we'd get in trouble. So that's what's going on with that. I wanted to just continue this line of thought we were talking about yesterday with just the insurgency at our border. The fact that this is not an immigration issue. Immigrate, I, I would actually go so far as to say that I think we should abolish Border Patrol. You know, the left says we should abolish ICE. I'll go a step further. I say we should abolish Border Patrol. And what I mean by that is we need a border force, which is mainly the military. Either way, you got to get the military involved. And when I say involved, I mean involved the way we fight wars, not involved in terms of catch and release. So once you have that, I don't really see a purpose of Border Patrol. Border Patrol, the point was where you don't have a military problem at the frontier you just have people trying to skirt immigration law. So it was created, like I said yesterday, in 1924, you had Chinese nationals coming in to skirt the Chinese Exclusion Act, so let's go apprehend them. It's to apprehend, detain, deport. But this entire thing is orchestrated by the most dangerous cartels. I want you guys to go, um, go Google National Geographic Underworld Inc. They have a series of Underworld Inc. on the cartels. Go to the episode Human Cargo. 40 minutes, go watch it. And you'll see what I'm talking about. We have an insurgency embedded in the culture, the cartel culture that controls both sides of the border, particularly in the Rio Grande Valley of Texas, where all the government officials are either directly or indirectly bought out by the cartels. So much of the population has been transformed over the years. So they're sympathetic to them. They view them as part of the same culture. There's a lot of problems with that. Not all of them, but it's too much. There's so much corruption. There's so much public corruption down there. The FBI had to bring in their own people. They wouldn't hire anyone from the RGV. That's how bad it was when they opened shop down there. And let me tell you, there's problems in Border Patrol in that area. From, from some, not all, some of the people they hire from the area. It's literally an insurgency where you have a population on both sides that doesn't recognize the border exactly like what you would see in Afghanistan. The corruption, they get bought off by the Taliban. Same deal. Except there, we can and should walk away from it. Here, we can't walk away from our country. You know, if you had the Taliban or ISIS at our border controlling a flow of migration against us, where the migrants are problematic, they're mixing in other people with them, they're using them as diversions, they're using them as money-making... Would we treat that as, hmm, let's have a border patrol. Let's uh, patrol. Let's catch and release. No, you'd have the military. So ironically, I'll tell you, we need more ICE. What we really need is one big immigration entity. Restart the INS. Have it independent from DHS. Directly report to the president, that an INS commissioner. Roll border patrol into ICE and make it one big enforcement, but mainly with the border, at least in the coming years, until this is put under control, it's a military operation. Let me tell you something. I'm looking in front of, I'm looking right now at a map given to me by a source, put out by the Mexican government, showing the deployment of the um, Mexican National Guard to different provinces. And they're deployed under this to 153 provinces. 
th- these these are basically the most populated areas. That's what they're focusing on to you know fight the cartels. Do you know of those districts? Eighty percent of them, the government admits by their own breakdown, is controlled by the cartels. Only nineteen point nine two percent enjoy a low level of violence which means that control is exercised by authorities. So we, I mean, officially, that's a worse ratio than Afghani government control. I mean, no one's going to tell you this. We have the most violent cartel cartels controlling the border, controlling most of Mexico, and the culture of insurgency that they've built on our side of the border, where they have, you know, when they get into... Cartel warfare, like I said yesterday, the losing side is going to get killed. They come over here. They already have people here that are American citizens. Some of them are, have even been here for generations. They're not necessarily illegals. But the cross-culture is so strong, they're bought off by the cartels. They live with them. And they actually come down south to join the battle. A lot of people forget when you think of the border, you think of stuff coming north. But our border is so out of control. It's like a third world country. And we've brought in the third world to the, a lot of these border counties. Now, we bought, like we talk about the MS-13, all the crime we brought into all 50 states, even more so in the East Coast. But I'm talking about like high-level cartel officials, living wealthy people. They're mainly at the border. We're in the big cities, not necessarily at the border, but Houston, San Antonio. And they go back south. They're catching cartel members and weapons going down south, and often they can't catch them. Border Patrol is told to stand down whenever there's a gun battle. So if they hear CDN fighting the Gulf Cartel in Miguel Aleman, Tamaulipas, that area, across from Mission, Texas, they cannot engage. They have, to, they have to clear the field. They have to run away. But ironically, that's the time they're going to need be needed there the most. Because when you have, when you hear a gun battle, you're not like, oh boy, I'm sure glad we're on the other side of the border. There's Mexican fights going on. No, 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 no. You have cartel officials from America going south, cartel people in Mexico going north. It's literally a murky line that you have in Afghani provinces. That's no longer a border patrol issue. And certainly we're not allowing them to do anything. So we need the military. We need the military. That's the case we need to keep making. It's just so obvious to anyone who understands this. It's a no-brainer. So um, so that's the story with that. But it gets even worse. You would think if 80% of Mexican territory, populated areas at least, are controlled by the cartels. I would imagine that means in the the least populated areas, I'm sure it's even worse. What do you think is the reaction of the local government in the Rio Grande Valley? See no evil, hear no evil. There's no problems here. Many of you wonder how they tolerate this. That's the problem. There's some areas where there's ranchers in parts of Texas, but they're further north. or in Arizona, parts of New Mexico. But most of the areas right at the border have been taken over. That's the problem. Good people have moved out. That's the dirty little secret. I forgot to report on this at the time. It's a little bit old, but still very relevant. This is from January 18th, 2018. Okay. A new State Department travel warning that ranks the state of Tamaulipas at level four, the same as countries such as Afghanistan, Iraq, Libya, and Syria, is causing havoc for economic development leaders. 
A level four classification includes the warning, do not travel. Five Mexican states, Colima, Guerrero, Michoacan, Sinaloa, and Tamaulipas are listed as level four. Yet at a board meeting on Thursday, Keith Patheridge, president of the McAllen Economic Development Corporation, said he has related his concerns to U.S. Senator John Cornyn and his assistant consul for the United States in Metamoros. The State Department issued a new travel advisory on January 10th. It has created quite a few problems for us. And they wanted the classification taken down. I, I, this is old, but it's relevant today. Remember, these are the people we gave control to veto the border wall. The RGV is corrupt as hell. We need someone to clean out the corruption there. You want HSI to investigate stuff? You know, they siphon off ICE because they don't want to do immigration enforcement. Um, so they step on FBI's toes. You want to you do a, a separate invest, investigation? Focus like a laser beam on the corruption in the border counties working for the cartels. I'd have a whole task force on that. How about that? So that's for starters today. We have a massive insurgency on both sides of the border. A cultural insurgency on our side. Obviously a violent insurgency on the other side. And the immigration is inextricably linked at every level to that. It's not an immigration issue. And this is what the president needs to say. Now, look, I'm reading this morning, the president teased that he's going to announce something today or tomorrow. Now that's happened before and it didn't happen. And, and look, this is very fluid. I'm recording an early afternoon here. So forgive me if, if stuff changes and, you know, by tomorrow, if something does happen, we'll weigh in. All I have on anything concrete is a political article that literally came out a few minutes ago. President Donald Trump is considering sweeping restrictions on asylum that would effectively block Central American migrants from entering the U.S., according to several administration officials and advocates briefed on the plan. A draft proposal circulating among Trump's Homeland Security advisors would prohibit migrants from seeking asylum if they have resided in a country other than their own before coming to the U.S., according to a DHS official and an outside advocate familiar with the plan. If executed, it would deny asylum to to thousands of migrants waiting just south of the border, many of whom have trekked a perilous journey through Mexico. Trump alluded to the asylum changes Thursday as he departed for Colorado, telling reporters he is going to do something very dramatic on the border. I would say my biggest statement on the border, um, this is big league statement. I'm not closing the border. I'm doing something else. Um, you know, obviously they just... So they go on to solicit comments from these open border groups. Um, they have Dan Stein from fair, the one good guy who says people don't have a right to pick and choose where they ask for asylum. I'm literally reading this as it's coming out. I, I look, I certainly agree. And I, I would, I would welcome this. God bless him. If he's willing to do this and stand behind it. But again, just realize the courts are going to come in. They're going to say, Oh, you don't have a formal third party agreement. even though um, I totally agree with his authority, but I'm just saying, again, just do an 1182F shutoff of, of all illegal immigration at the border. It's more categorical. It's more, it's just on solid, more solid ground. I, I believe this is on solid ground, and I certainly will defend it up and down and promote it, and I hope he does it. I'm just saying, again, I, I just, I'm a little bit puzzled why he doesn't go the route of the statute that was just upheld in Trump v. Hawaii. I still don't understand that. Um, but again, I'll, we'll get confirmation as, as we, you know, finish this show, I'll see if anything changes, but, but this is, you know, this is about time. So more welcome news here. 
And look, I mean, I, I was hoping, I mean, at least this gives me a little bit of hope that they're not giving up because it looked like they're completely giving up. Oh, let's wait till the election. I mean, are you kidding me? It's a year and a half away. The election is not going to change anything anyway, like, like we've said so many times. We can't afford this. Some of you might have thought when we reached 100,000 apprehensions, it couldn't get any worse in April. And maybe the numbers would start to go down. From what I'm seeing, that's not true. So for the month of May, I am sitting on some exclusive data here that I cannot publish. I don't want to publish it, but I could read from some of the top lines. Basically, every month we wait for CBP to come out with their border numbers and you know they break down in all different ways but it's the only breakdown mexico and the northern triangle countries they don't have every other country and they don't break it down by state they break it down by border sector um and you got to wait till you know a little while later but really they have daily numbers they have certainly weekly tabulations and you could see a lot. So what stuck out to me is I'm sitting on data from Texas, just Texas. So basically, Texas, because the state government works with Border Patrol more than the other three border states, they collate this data from 172 agencies plus the federal data, and they get every week they have a report. So I have the data for the first 28 days of May. Today's the 30th. I have it through Tuesday. And if you look at all of the numbers together, there have been 71,834 apprehensions in Texas for 28 days. Why is that significant? Because that, that's a big deal. If you... Now, I'm, I'm going to get a hold of the April weekly numbers so I could add them up and compare them. I went to, you know, CBP's website. If you look at the April numbers, which we do have, it's a little bit complicated because in April, like I said, they don't they don't divide it up by state. Now you might say, okay, well just add up the border sectors within Texas. The problem is that there's um there's Rio Grande Valley, there's Laredo, Del Rio, Big Bend and then El Paso. So the last one, El Paso, is not all in Texas. It's El Paso, the city of you know that county, but then it also includes New Mexico. So I have no way of knowing, but if you take a look at it, the total for the 30 days of April is 74,311. So if you would divide it up by number in other words you know you take a look at the per day flow it would work out that in april in texas there were 2477 per day it's pretty unbelievable and it would work out that per day now there were 2565 so almost like another 120 a day but it's really a lot more than that the pace is a lot quicker because, again, like I said, I'm counting in the April numbers all of El Paso sector. El Paso sector caught between the points of entry uh, in April, 26,867. I would venture to say at least half of those were in New Mexico. So it's likely that the numbers were much more in May in Texas. And again, remember, Texas has the lion's share. Texas has, you know, is averaging, um, I don't know, 60%, 60 70% of the flow from the entire border. So I can't vouch for the other states, but it is very clear that the numbers have not crested, that Texas is still going up and it might be significant I, I like i said i'm gonna try to get the exact number by tomorrow i'll be able to have that for you 
as compared to April. So I have an apples to apples comparison, but I just want you to realize, I just want you to understand this for a minute where we are. I really want you to understand the flow. When Trump announced in 2015 his presidency and he came down that escalator and said, oh my gosh, our country is becoming a a, a dumping ground. We had 38,000 apprehended per month at our entire border. Now, we're on pace for close to uh, 75 to 80,000 for the month of May, just in Texas alone. You know, we were averaging 300, 400,000 a year, the entire border. If you look at this annualized pace from Texas this month, okay, so about 2,565 per day. That's a pace of about annualized of about 936,000 a year. That's almost a million people. Now, we haven't had in a million year since FY 2006 at the entire border, and we're close to a pace for this month of a million pace annualized just in Texas alone. And again, almost all of these are unique individuals. Whereas, like we said many times back in the 90s, early 2000s, when you had over a million apprehensions of the, the total border, you know, Southwest border, uh, you know, with all four states, a lot of them were repeats within the same border shift, much less the same week or month or year. These countries are just emptying out here. And like I noticed, I told you there, there's two things. They're coming, first of all, from all parts of the world. 67 from Bangladesh, 40 from Uzbekistan. Again, first four weeks of May, just in Texas. But then, you know, the question is with a lot of uncertainty in many parts of Latin America, because these countries are closer than, let's say, Africa. Are they going to start? Are they the next shoes to drop? 1,301 from Nicaragua. Again, four weeks worth in one state. 1118 from Ecuador. 1787 from Cuba. 1045 from Brazil. So other countries are going to start this. This will never end. You're thinking, all right, the numbers are going to eventually crest. They're not. Now when Border Patrol announces, uh, CBP announces, yeah, you could just come here with a kid. I just don't get it. Look, we'll see what the president suggests. Now, I really hope this is not an example where he telegraphs his punch for five days and doesn't punch. Now that he's telegraphed it, he should announce it immediately, and hopefully he will. We'll see what happens. But again, what I'd like to hear from the president, stop talking even about asylum and laws and third party. I mean, if if that's mechanically what's going to get you to shut it down, fine. But the messaging needs to be that the American people need to understand that we have an Afghanistan-level insurgency at our border. It's not about immigration anymore. It's not a matter of a random loose people trying to come into the country. This is a tactical 21st style century invasion and cultural insurgency by the most ruthless cartels. He needs to designate them as terrorists. That will upend everything. That will allow SOCOM to come in. Right now, the problem is they're doing nothing. The National Guard, they can't do it. They can't even, they can't even surveil the Mexican side of the border with with binoculars. They're not even allowed to look at it. Really, I'm not kidding. They can't do anything. And the cartels know this. You need a SOCOM operation in there. I've been saying that for a long time. We have special operations in 135, 140 countries in the world. 
we needed at our border. I don't mean patrolling our communities. I mean repelling this invasion, going into Mexico. And what I find amazing is, you know, what you have at DHS and the military and National Guard, oh, we we can't violate the sovereignty of another country. They're very into that. The Mexican government is telling us that 80% of their most populated areas, they don't control. Cartels control them. So you're not helping anyone by defending sovereignty that doesn't exist. I'm saying, first of all, even if Mexico did have control, what about our sovereignty? That comes first. That's number one. But even, but it's not even true. So this whole thing is just utterly out of control. So that's with the border. Um, and, and, and I just want you to know, you know what, I wasn't planning on doing this, but, but let, me, let me read this to you. I'm, I'm hoping it will be educational. I, I have a report written by a DEA agent. Drug Enforcement Administration agent on why the cartels need to be designated as terrorists. Now, I can't tell you who put it out and where it was put out, but I'm just going to read from it. I want you guys to understand this a little bit, just to get a flavor of what's going on in Mexico. But by extension, what is sitting at our border, what is being directed in our communities, really in all 50 states, by the cartels, at the BS of the transnational gangs contracting with them. Mexican drug cartels, also identified as drug trafficking organizations, have left a blood trail behind their every step. Through the utilization of terrorist tactics and terrorist acts of violence, Mexican drug cartels are carrying out beheadings, car bombings, mass murders, torture, and political assassinations. Their actions, culture, and ideology are not reflective of your typical organized crime organization, but are consistent with the concepts, actions, and behaviors of terrorism. Despite the manifestation of the Mexican drug cartel culture, which often results in the public display of decapitated heads and bodily dismemberment, they have managed to convince many individuals whom hold positions at the highest level of government meaning our government, into believing that they're simply criminal organizations. Historical and present events, statistics, facts, and circumstances will indicate otherwise. In order to address one of America's greatest national security threats to date, we must properly identify the Mexican drug cartels as terrorist organizations and subsequently obtain the tools, resources, and options necessary to not only reduce the level of violence, but to ultimately dismantle Mexican drug cartels. The war on society waged by the Mexican drug cartels has been met with failed government policies in both Mexico and the U.S. The results have been astonishing. Over the past decade, more than 100 Mexican mayors have been assassinated, most of whom have been killed at the direction of the cartels. Additionally, between 2007 and 2014, a time period in Mexico plagued by Mexican drug cartel violence, more than 164,000 people were killed. Um, in order to provide a greater perspective into the level of violence inflicted by the Mexican drug cartels, statistical data has indicated that during the same period, 103,000 civilians were killed in both Afghanistan and Iraq as compared to 164,000. And again, he's talking about this is a little bit old, a couple of years old, 2014. The data from 16, 17, 18 is sky high. It's much more than that now. Because we're, we're going to get over 40,000 just this year. And, and really, it's a lot more. These are just the bodies identified. Mexico is not exactly like America, where we pretty much identify and recover every dead body. Um, there, many of them are never recovered, never reported or known about. But it's going to be over 40,000 this year. So, um, so that's with that. But anyway, let me read a little bit further. Despite the deployment of various strategies by the current administration of the Mexican government, such as the utilization of the Mexican military and the implementation of community-oriented socioeconomic and cultural programs, violence is once again on the rise in a country controlled by Mexican drug cartels. And again, they give, so this was in 2016, it's a little later than I thought, but he gives some more data, um, goes through the homicide data, and, and stuff like that. 
But then he goes on to say, more importantly than just looking at the raw numbers of killings, and this, this is what I wanted to get to, the cultural aspect. A lot, a lot of people think that they're, it's just, Daniel, it's just money and greed. But it's a little bit more than that. Quote, it's imperative to understand that there is no form of statistical data that can provide a clear understanding of the culture, ideology, capability, and mindset of the Mexican drug cartels. Statistics alone cannot explain the effects of the Mexican drug cartels have had on society. They routinely conduct beheadings in which corpses and heads are hung on public display. They are known for kidnapping, torturing, and dismembering their targets. They conduct killings of innocent people and cartel rivals for satanic sacrifices. Innocent women and children are not impervious to cartel violence. Okay. Similar to the to ISIS and Al-Qaeda, Mexican drug cartels also utilize social media sites to instill fear into the general public by posting videos and photographs of individuals being decapitated and tortured. They've also routinely killed politicians who oppose cartel violence. This form of terrorism is often associated to ISIS and Al-Qaeda. However, these actions are carried out daily by the Mexican drug cartels. This is because terrorism is not about a specific cause, but is a strategy, a means to an end. In the case of Mexican drug cartels, the strategy is a core principle of their existence and the basis of the success. Despite this fact, the U.S. government currently reviews the Mexican drug cartels as criminal organizations and its current strategy and policies have proven to be ineffective in dismantling Mexican drug cartels. In order to properly address policy reform to combat the Mexican drug cartels, you must not only come to the realization that the cartels are terrorist organizations, but to also understand the culture and mindset in which they are derived from. So, um, I'm just trying to see the best areas to read here, just to give you a sense of uh, what's going on here. Why this is so much more similar to um, let's say, you know, ISIS and Al-Qaeda more than typical crime culture. The term culture is defined as a particular culture that has its own beliefs and way of life. The Mexican drug cartel ideology is influenced by their culture and religious beliefs. You hear, heard that? Religious beliefs, which provide moral justification for their actions. You know, a lot of people say, oh, no, you know, you know, ISIS is religion, this is greed. No. In order to fundamentally understand Mexican drug culture, it's imperative that we understand that there are several components which formulate their own independent culture and ideology. The Mexican drug culture or narco-cultura encompasses religiosity, violence, lawlessness, idolatry, and a desire for wealth, power, and political control. The cartel culture is often neglected and is paid little to no attention, despite the fact that thoughts and beliefs influence action. The indoctrination of the Mexican drug cartel culture can begin as early as 11-year-olds, a process in which young children are often recruited by senior and more experienced members of the organization. There are several forms of, of indoctrination. For example, some Mexican drug cartels have utilized techniques which focus on mind manipulation and behavioral modification commonly util utilized by organizations such as Al-Qaeda. For example, the La Familia um, cartel's indoctrination process they operate around El Paso, by the way, is described as a six to eight week program, which incorporates texts and videos to assist with brainwashing, periodic vows of silence and days without talking to enhance spiritual concentration, concentration, solidarity and loyalty to the cartel's leadership. Another aspect of indoctrination, indoctrination utilized by the Mexican drug cartels consists of enlisting young recruits into training camps where they are under the guidance and tutelage of hitmen or sicarios. Child soldiers are desensitized through vigorous training in which recruits are taught in order to kill and dismember their victims while, conduct, well, uh, while conducting kidnappings, assassinations, and carrying out bombings. They are taught how to utilize and operate both basic and advanced weapon systems and devices such as assault weapons, pistols, and at times even explosives. Upon the completion of training, recruits are sent on domestic and international missions to establish cells of sicarios where they are subsequently called upon to carry out 
acts of violence on behalf of the cartels. Young recruits are appealing to the Mexican drug culture cartels specifically because they are easier to indoctrinate and also because of their unique ability to adapt and conform to various cultures and conduct executions while attracting little to no law enforcement attention. Now, a couple of things I just want to interject here. Notice he says international missions. They're in 40 to 50 countries, some of these cartels. And again, most importantly, they're in America. They're in America. The cartels recruit minors on our side. Again, because they know, like he says, law enforcement won't do anything. They will not do anything with minors. And often, because we've had so much Mexican immigration, both legal and illegal, they're U.S. citizens in Hidalgo and Star Counties. And you have this cross-border insurgency. So everything I'm reading to you, while it's more subtle in America, it's there. It's not just in Mexico. But, um, but let me continue. For example, oh, whoops, I, I uh, stepped on the, on, on, on the memo. He says it. For example, a 17-year-old American teen identified as Gabrielle Cordona became a member of the Los Zetas cartel in 2004 and was subsequently sent, sent to a Zetas training camp. Once his training was complete, Cordona carried out assassinations on behalf of the Zetas DTO on both sides of the U.S. border. Similar to Cardona was Edgar Jimenez Lugo. Jimenez was an 11-year-old Sicario for the South Pacific Cartel and was nicknamed Nino Sicario or Child Assassin by Mexico's media. Despite Jimenez's young age, he has worked alongside other Sicarios and has assisted in beheadings and torture of people. This part's very important. An additional component to the Mexican drug cartel culture is the belief system and worshiping of the cult of La Santa Moreta, or Saint Death. La Santa Moreta is often described as a set of ritual practices offered on behalf of supernatural personification of death. La Santa Moreta's image is the personification of death itself. Described as a saint who does not judge, Santa Morete has become embedded into the fabric of the drug cartel culture. For divine protection against rivals, law enforcement, and military personnel, drug cartels engage in barbaric ritualistic acts of torture and murder. These barbaric acts of violence are conducted with a sense of spiritual empowerment under a belief system which condones and promotes the torture, dismemberment, and murder of others. Some forms of worship have involved bowels of humans and animal blood poured on spiritual icons, further symbolizing a blood pact. Devotees make sacrifices often in the form of human flesh and blood in the hopes to obtain protection and success in their criminal endeavors. The following and worshipping of La Santa Morete has been associated to such an alarming level of violence that in 2009, Mexican President Felipe Calderon initiated the demolition of border shrines in which the Mexican military bulldozed 40 La Santa Morete shrines along U.S. Mexican U.S. the U.S.-Mexico uh, border. Cartels such as the Knights of Templar, the Gulf Cartel and Los Zetas have displayed acts of allegiance to spiritual deities identified as narco-saints, um, and they give some examples. In 2008, Mexican police found 11 charred heads at a shrine at, to Santa Morete in Yucatan. Um, in 2010, six bodies of tortured victims were recovered in Cancun. Yes, the once uh, uh, Western result, re resort town. Um, where is this? Uh, they go on to, you know, list, he, he lists a number of things here, and he just uh, says that Mexican drug cartels seek to not only replace local government by imposing their own law, but to also influence society through teachings of the cult. Folks, in every respect, this is like everything we supposedly go to war with, but don't really, and chase our tail in the Middle East. This is at our border it's all over Mexico. It's controlling Mexico. It's controlling the flow of illegal immigrants. And it's on our side of the border with this cross-cultural pollination in the Rio Grande Valley in particular. They are terrorists and they need to be treated as such. That is obvious. It's 100% obvious that this is what we need to do. The president has the authority to designate them as terrorists tomorrow. It will change the way we do the border enforcement. It will change 
the military rules of engagement. It will change the way local law enforcement has to deal with them when they're caught. It will pave the way for massive investigations into the corruption at the border on the American side with Americans or Mexican-Americans and, and, and you know political leaders in the Rio Grande Valley. Everything we did in the Middle East aimlessly to no avail when we shouldn't have been doing it, we need to be doing times 10 at our own border. That's my goal in the coming days to make this case and make it clear to this administration that it has no other option. This is the antecedent to the entire problem. And now you know why our government will not do anything about it. After I explained to you the politics of the Rio Grande Valley and the cross-pollination of the culture. It's a very sad and disturbing thought, but the same way so many Muslims in America are brainwashed, even the ones that don't engage in terrorism, but a lot of them, you know, we view the Muslim Brotherhood, they're, they're horrible, they're terrorists. To a lot of them, well, you're, you're attacking my, uh, my people. They view them as, as my people. Mein Landsmann, like we'd say in German. So it's the same thing here. There's a number of Mexican-Americans in some of these areas who view them as mein Landsmann, view the cartel, and, and, and it's worse. Kind of like the same way that with a lot of these like Islamic mother, Muslim Brotherhood organizations, even Arab-Muslim countries like Saudi Arabia and the UAE, um... Egypt are banning them and going after them, yet Muslim organizations in America and the West promote them. It's a similar thing with the drug cartels, where in Mexico, because of the death and mayhem, where they, they can't afford to deal with the subtlety, they, it's not subtle, they have the death and mayhem every day, they're banning these you know, people associated with the cartels Yet in the Rio Grande Valley, they'll bring them in. There's a lot of wealthy people living in fancy houses in the Rio Grande Valley, just like you see in the movies about the narco culture. But they're not just in Mexico. They're on our side of the border. They're working for the cartels. We need an investigation in that. We need an FBI or HSI task force dedicated just to this. In addition to obviously deporting all illegals and shutting off immigration. But that's what I wanted you guys to realize. We have an insurgency at our border, the degree to which is unimaginable. And it's on our side of the border. The longer we let this fester, the harder it will be politically to deal with. And the more powerful the, powerful the cartels get, let me tell you, the harder it will be to deal with them as well. Right now, they're only powerful because we allow them to win. If we would have a military operation against them, they're powerful, but they don't have, they can't withstand a military onslaught. Not yet, at least. But again, much like the civilization jihad, what's the biggest tenet of civilization jihad. What are their forward advancing guard, their, their, their troops? It's immigration. It's among their immigrant population. That's how they start sowing the seeds of disquiet. It's the same thing. When you bring in millions upon millions of Mexicans, there's some very terrific Mexicans, people of Mexican descent, but you bring in so many in an irresponsible way without dealing with the drug cartels, you're bringing in the cartel culture and literally cartel operatives the same way you're bringing in the jihadist culture and literally those working for jihad when you bring in 2 million Muslims within such a short period of time. It's the same thing. You know, A lot of people think, well, this is greed. The other thing is more religious fervor, so I'm more scared about that. This is a report from a DEA agent who would know 
I can't tell you anything more about it, but um, there's an element that's quasi-religious, if you want to call it that. And um, again, watch the movies, Narco, or anything about that. You'll, you'll see this. It's obvious to you. They did a good job. So I hope today's show was was helpful in, in framing this. Let me know if you have more questions on this issue. I do want to move on to a little bit more with Iran. Oil prices are plummeting despite the doom and gloom. Oh, the sanctions are going to kill us because the oil is going to spike. So much for that. We're crushing Iran and oil is plummeting too, but yet Trump's being convinced to go weak on them now and not go in for the kill. Some Also some news on healthcare, other stuff. We're always operating on full cylinders. We hope to take the show to a new level in the coming weeks. A little bit of a rebranding we're going to have. Same show, just a a way to market it more to, to, to more people. Always appreciate your advice and your ideas. This is one big family. I know more people agree with us than we think. Some days I think I'm, I'm totally crazy. And then I get emails from you like, you guys say the same thing. I thought I was crazy until I heard you. It's good to know other people think this way. We still have a silent majority in this country. It's time to coalesce that majority and give them a voice. We got to continuously think of ways to do that. That's our job here. That's our commitment. That's our promise. The truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Till tomorrow, God bless y'all. This has been another episode of The Conservative Conscience. 